We're so happy you're here for Easter Sunday. There's a story of a little five-year-old named Brian who uh, was reciting a line in the church Easter program. And his line was Luke 24, 6. It was a pivotal line at the end. And, of course, it's, it says, he is not here, he is risen. So during the, uh, the, the play, he could not quite remember what to say. And so the director who was sitting there on the front pew mouthed the words to him said, said, He's not here. He's risen. And then he, he, he heard it and he looked at it and he said, oh, yeah, that's right. And he grabbed the microphone and said, he's not here. He's in prison. <laughs> so not quite the same, but risen does rhyme with prison. And, and today we are thankful that our Lord is not in prison, amen, and that he is risen from the grave. And uh, this is Easter, a day where we celebrate that Jesus has rose from the grave. He, he lived uh, he died on the cross, he was buried, and on Easter morning he arose and the tomb was empty. His resurrection and then his ascension to heaven meant that he was who he said he was, and he offered what he said he offers. Romans 10 says this, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Faith in Jesus is how we are saved. It is how we are made right with God. But there will always be some and those in our world that will tell you differently. And that's what we're looking at today in Galatians chapter 6. We've been going through Galatians as a church, and I thought about uh, delaying this to the next week and going ahead and doing a, just a traditional Easter passage. Uh, but this really goes right into the Easter message. And so we want to finish Galatians today. Uh, verse 11 in chapter 6 says this. Paul says this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship here this Easter morning, we're so thankful that we can do that this year. Last year, huddled in our homes, not really understanding what we were going into, not really understanding why we were doing what we were asked to do. But now we have a better knowledge of things, Father. And so I thank you that as we continue to, to come out of this, this pandemic and as, as people feel more comfortable with their lives for whatever reasons, Lord, that, that you've given them, uh, that they would, we would continue... Lord, to, to, to be able to faithfully worship you. And so we, we look forward to the weeks and months ahead as a church body to gather. And we look forward to the rest of this service. 
as we celebrate Easter Sunday, the day that your son, Jesus Christ, defeated death, rose from the grave, and purchased a salvation for those who would believe. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We love you. And Lord, I do pray that, that as I preach this, that my words reflect your heart, that you fill me with your spirit, and that we hear what you have us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we jump into today's text, there's, it's worth noting that the book of Galatians was written to combat a very specific form of false teaching, a very specific form of heresy. Now, Galatia was not a Jewish community. Therefore, the, the new Christians in the region had been saved out of paganism. They had been saved out of idol worship. They knew virtually nothing of the Jewish religion. And so at some point after turning to Christ, some false teachers crept into the church who had Jewish backgrounds, and they told these new believers that to really be saved, that Jesus wasn't enough, that they had to essentially become Jewish to be saved. The males had to be circumcised, which was the sign of God's covenant with the Jews. Others taught that they had to obey all the laws of the Torah to be saved. So in other words, believing in Jesus wasn't enough to be made right with God. So this is the context of the letter, and Paul revisits this as he ends the letter. And so with that in mind today, I want to give you three reasons to not follow Jesus. I'm not giving you three reasons not to follow Jesus, but three reasons that shouldn't be why you follow Jesus. These are reasons why you shouldn't follow. There's plenty of reasons why. These are reasons why you should not. You don't follow Jesus for these reasons. Number one, don't follow Christ for coolness. Don't follow Christ for coolness. Now, I don't have that problem, okay? Some of you might. Don't follow Christ because it's the cool thing to do. And I'm going to get into this in a second. Look at verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, it was common in Paul's day to have another person actually write the letters. You had professionals who would do this. They had a great calligraphy. They, they had a way of making it look nice. And, of course, there was no printing press. So this was going to a community that needed the gospel. And so Paul probably had chicken scratch like most people do. And they had a person whose job was to write these beautiful letters. And so at the end, however, the author would, would, would then jump on the pen. And they would start writing so, to give it a personal touch. And that's what's going on here. And he uses this sentence to underscore the importance of the fact that he's using larger letters than normal to emphasize this last section. He's like, I don't want you just to get to the end of this letter and kind of just read it. I want you to really understand what I'm saying. And so he revisits the false teaching that was happening within the church. And he says in verse 12, there are those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, in other words, to become Jewish, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The Christians were feeling pressure from the false teachers to become more Jewish. And the pressure was that this is how they would be saved. And so by adjusting their belief systems to what the pressuring culture found acceptable, then they would actually avoid being persecuted for their faith. And they would start to fall in line with what the culture deemed acceptable. If you don't want to be persecuted for being a Christian, then just go along with what the culture says is okay, and you'll never be persecuted for being a Christian. But that's not what we're called to do. Part of following Christ means that on some level, you will be persecuted for your faith. Look at 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ 
Jesus will be coddled. No, that's not what it says. Will be given great treatment. No. Will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The goal of being a Christian is not to be accepted by people. Not to be accepted by your culture or your community. It's not to be seen as cool. If there's a cool church out there, it should happen by accident, not by design. And if you find yourself following Christ to fit into some group or to be accepted on some level, your theology will change and you become not a Christ follower. You are a follower of the God of acceptance, of the God of approval of whatever is taught. There will be days and times where a culture will line up with the gospel and there will be times where it won't because cultural values and morals change. And they go up and down and they change with the times. Sometimes it aligns with the gospel. Many times it does not. Your faith in Christ is not something that can be tweaked or changed because the gospel is unchanging. So don't follow Christ for some type of acceptance or to fit in. It will never last. Secondly, don't follow Christ for the cheers. I'm trying to keep them with my C uh, here, my C uh, um, pattern. Don't follow Christ for the cheers. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. False teachers who distort the gospel, pervert the gospel, they want you to do as they say so that they can get the glory on some level, so they can get the acclaim. So they can get the cheers. Following Jesus is not about the cheers. It's not about the acclaim. Last week on Palm Sunday, and Dr. Costin was here and preached a great message on Palm Sunday. And as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, riding a donkey's colt, people cheered for him. Why? Why were they cheering for Jesus that day? Well, the majority of the people thought that Jesus would be this conquering king who was sent by God to rescue the Jews from the oppressive Roman Empire. But Jesus' mission was not to conquer the Romans. His mission was to conquer death. So as the week progressed, Holy Week, and as it went to Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, those cheers turned into jeers. The same people that cheered him jeered him and shouted crucify him because he did not line up what they felt was appropriate in their belief system. Jesus is not a commodity we can use to gain fame. It's not something we can consume to have success or even pleasure. Jesus' mission was to conquer death, thereby allowing us to conquer death and sin in our lives. He is a Savior. That's what he is. To be saved means that we must realize that we need something to be saved from, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we must reach out for help. We must admit that. So we don't follow Christ for a pat on the back or for cheers. We follow Christ because we need saving. And we enter into a lifelong covenant relationship with Jesus as our God, as our King. And we follow him as he leads us. And the only applause we seek is that applause from heaven, from God himself. He says in verse 14, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world had been crucified to me and I to the world. The false teachers were braggadocious. 
They would brag on their own lives and the things that they accomplished. And they would brag on their ministries. And Paul says, the only thing I'm bragging about is the fact that I'm saved, that Jesus has saved me. And when we brag, we brag about what Jesus has done in our own lives. Paul, and I mentioned this before, was a man who was extremely driven before and after his salvation. A man who was extremely driven, who was the smartest man in the city, in this town, in his class. He was the most goal-oriented man. He was uh, a model citizen. He was the best of the best in every sphere of life. He would be the guy that, that you wouldn't want to hang out with because he's better than you at everything. Smarter than you, um, more successful than you, more driven than you. You wouldn't be able to keep up with him. And his main goal was to exterminate Christianity until Jesus changed his life on the road to Damascus just like that. And God used Paul in that ambition, in that drive, and to humble him and humbled him to, to get the gospel throughout most of Asia and Europe to write much of the New Testament. And in so doing, all of Paul's worldly ambitions were, he says, were nailed to the cross just as Christ was nailed to the cross. And this is what he says. This is what he brags about. Why? Verse 15. Because neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation as a Christian, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. It doesn't matter what you even do. Because all that can be faked. All that can be a show. He says it matters what's in the heart. That's what he says. It matters that it is a new creation. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you just get like a new pair of shoes or you get a new Easter tie from Amazon on 24-hour delivery like I did. Yeah. Or you get, or you get a good new haircut. Or it doesn't mean that you just kind of tweak some of your life or change some behavior patterns. That's part of it, but that's not what it's about. Becoming a Christian means that you have died to your former self. That former self has been buried in the grave just like Jesus was. And then just like Jesus raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, that new life came raised from the ground, spiritually speaking. And Jesus has put in a new, a new spirit in you. A new person. Yes, the old person's there fighting for control and allegiance. But you are a, that's what we call it being born again. The Bible calls it born again. The old has passed away. The new has come. Easter is a reminder of a time for new beginnings. It's in the spring. It's 39 degrees in the morning and 80 in the afternoon. It's a time of transition. Right? A time for new beginnings. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus before. Maybe you've never said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me, Father. I, I, I want to... to follow you. I want salvation today. Maybe Easter will be a day. You will make that decision today, this Easter. Maybe you are a Christian, and maybe you're going through something in your own life today. Maybe it's a family issue, a relationship issue, a job issue, whatever it is, and you know that there's something that's, 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 that God's calling you to do. There's a new beginning happening. Maybe today, when we, in a little while, when we have our invitation time, you just need to come down to these steps. You need to pray and Lord and say, Lord, Lord, help me today start that new beginning. Whatever it is, let me be obedient to your call in my life and this new beginning 
today. He says in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. See, when we follow Christ, we find peace. We find mercy in God's eyes. And he uses this phrase that's interesting. He calls it the Israel of God. Israel was God's chosen people. They were called God's children. But as a believer, even if you're not Jewish, you become God's children. You, you, become, you become grafted into his family, adopted into his family. So you don't follow Christ for the cheers because there will be times where you'll be praised for being a Christian and there will be times where you'll be jeered for being a Christian. We don't follow Christ for the cheers. We follow him for who he is in the good times and the bad times. When it's popular, when it's not, we follow Jesus for what he's done for us. And finally, number three, we don't follow Christ for comfort. Now, we do follow Christ for comfort, the comfort he gives us. But we don't follow Christ to get more comfortable, to become more comfortable with our life. A lot of false teaching offers that. Comfortableness, not, no, no problems in your life. And these things don't happen. Look at verse 17. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's closing his letter. And the apostles, the fake apostles, he called them the super apostles. He had a good sense of humor. Even though they weren't apostles, he called them the super apostles. They would criticize Paul for being persecuted. And they would say, see, look, God's blessing is not on his life because he suffers. And he said, no, no, no. Leave me alone is what he says. I have the scars to prove my apostleship. 2 Corinthians 11 is one of two places where he talks about this. He says this, talking about another group of false teachers. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Remember, Paul was someone that could, uh, they had all the, all the acclaim he wanted. And he takes this to a new level as he talks about the ways he suffered. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, Countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. See, 40, 40 lashes from a whip would kill someone, so they would give you 39 and leave you hanging on. Five times he had that. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. I was thinking today that only once in my life I've found myself in a boat in the middle of a lake with no gas. That only lasted an hour. Imagine being shipwrecked three times like he was. A day and a night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, on my anxiety for all the churches. You could see Paul couldn't help himself. He always wanted to be someone who, who proved that he was better than others. And as a Christian, he's proving it again in a way that nobody wants. He says, God has used me to show me that I have suffered more than you ever have. Now, God doesn't call us to have those scars that Paul had. He's not using us to do what he used Paul to do. All of our lives are different. But as you follow Jesus, you will experience pain for being a Christian. You'll experience pain from the world. And the scars that you have that heal over that remind you of how far Jesus has taken you. 
just if you have a scar, you know, I have several scars on my, on, my, on my body. I have one right here on my hand where I busted my uh, hand open as a sophomore in college. And, uh, you know, being away from home, I didn't know I needed stitches. Well, I, I did. So I got this good scar right here. Then I took a chunk of my e out of my ear, you know, about a few months ago, and I got that glued up, and there's no scar there for whatever reason. But when you have scars, you, you, it, it gives you a memory of what you went through. It's the same thing in our own lives with, with personal scars. When, when we go through things, we have the scars to prove it, and we have the scars if we've been following Christ. We can look back and say, that was a very difficult time in my life, but Jesus was there. And Jesus got me through it. I don't know how anybody who doesn't know Jesus got through this past year, this pandemic. I don't know how I would have done that. A lot of people greatly suffered. They suffered even, either, even through losing someone or through losing a job or from having to work from home and parent. All sorts of things they had to do. They suffered in different ways. They weren't prepared for it. But if you know Jesus Christ, even though we don't follow him for a comfortable life, he gives us comfort. He gives us peace. He gets us through it. And the scars that we have through our lives, we can look back at those and say, Jesus was there for me. Because he was. We don't follow Jesus for the comfort level, but we follow him for his comfort. We follow him for his care. We follow him for how he loves us and he cares for us. And he sent his own son for us. And that son rose from the death on Easter morning. And he, follow, and he closes with this, verse 18. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The grace that he gives us be, is with our spirit, the living God that lives inside you if you know Jesus Christ. God's giving us grace upon grace upon grace every day of our life. Many times we don't even know it. It's God's grace that we're in here today. I'll dare say it's God's grace that we live in South Carolina. There's some states that until recently we were not even allowed to worship. You can imagine. It's by God's grace that we can be here today to even worship him. We're thankful for that. Deathly allergic to him, he became petrified with fear. And so his father was driving and the bumblebee was flying around. And father just reached out and grabbed the bee and caught it with a hand. With his hand. And the boy felt better. And then he let go of the bee. The bee flew back around. The boy got scared again, and he grabbed his dad's hand, and his dad said, hold on a second, wait a second, look at this. And he stuck his hand out, and there in his hand was the stinger of the bee. He said, you don't have anything to worry about. This bee can fly around and buzz around your ear. You got nothing to worry about anymore because I've taken the sting for you. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. The sting of death is gone if you know Jesus. You don't have to worry about death anymore. You don't have to worry about the worst thing that could happen to you in this life. You don't have to worry about it. The fear of death, the sting of death is gone. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave on Easter Sunday, he took the sting for us. And Easter Sunday is a reminder that we have nothing to fear. There will be times we do fear. And there will be times we do suffer. But if you know Jesus Christ, we can rest assured that he's taken the sting for us. And that's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. Father in heaven, as we close our time together today, we thank you for what you've done for us. And just as that father had 
a bee stinger in his hand. We can look at your hands one day in heaven and see the scars that you have from being on the cross. We will see you again. See you for the first time. And we'll be able to touch those scars just like Thomas did. But we won't be touching them in a, in a, in a way of disbelief. It'll be a way of belief. Just like he believed when he saw them. That we believe now. And we look forward to the day that you come back and we get new resurrected bodies and they meet our souls together and we have this perfect union with you forever. We have nothing to fear in the future as that is our destiny if we know Jesus. But until then, Lord, we are on this world for a reason. We are called to worship you and to bring you glory and to make disciples of all the nations in Monk's Corner, in South Carolina, in North America, in the world. Father, we know that there are times where life is hard for us, but we can look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, as someone who has suffered the most, as you suffered on the cross and you took the sin and the shame and, and the wrath of God for the crimes that we committed. And we broke your moral law. And God punished Jesus. And Jesus has suffered more than any of us ever will just because of that. Yet he did so so that we may live. So, Lord, we praise your name on Easter Sunday that when those ladies came to the tomb, you weren't there. The stone was rolled away. And you did what you came to the world to do to save mankind from their sins. Lord, we thank you for that, and we worship you, and we sing your praises today. In Jesus' name.